Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Well, as we said earlier, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, uh, well, let's just, let's just turn over there really, really quickly, and you see it for yourself. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So in our hearts, we honor Christ the Lord as holy. And apparently, that is supposed to make a difference in our lives in how we respond and how we, how we feel, how we think, and how we act. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that God has placed eternity on our hearts, which means that when God created us, even, even with a sin nature now being born of Adam, we still have eternity on our hearts. Even though our spirits are dead, our hearts are alive, and our hearts know that there is something after this. So because of that, there are questions that we ask, questions that we process, curiosities of knowing which truth to believe, and, and, and what does this mean and that mean, and we try to figure out the issues of life, which is why we are to guard our hearts because out of it come the issues of life. With all diligence, by the way. And so what we have to understand is, and there's reasons to stop asking questions. I tell a lot of young people who, who grow up in church, who, who begin to get indoctrinated by untruths, and they start questioning the truth of God's Word. I always tell them, keep asking questions. I believe what Jesus said, and I have experienced that firsthand, that... He is the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by Him. Which to me says that as long as we keep asking questions, we will eventually be in the face of Jesus Christ. The problem is we get tired of asking questions. We get tired of doing our homework. And we settle for someone else's opinion. And once we get to the answer that we like or the answer that we want, we stop asking questions. So my encouragement to us is that we would just keep asking questions because even when you are standing right face to face with the way, keep asking questions because as close as you think you are, there's deeper still. Okay. With those two things being true, and we know that they are, I'm not speaking logic, but Scripture, because eternity is in our hearts, well, let me ask you this. It's not God's will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Amen? So we know that God is at work restoring people and bringing people to Himself. We also know that Jesus taught that unless the Spirit dealing with someone, unless the Spirit draws a man, He cannot come to the Father. Amen? We know the Spirit of God is drawing people. It's the Spirit's responsibility to draw people to the heart of the Father. It's not possible. It's not possible to come to Christ unless the Spirit, unless the Spirit is already at work. But we know that it is the Father's will that all would come. And so 
While God may not be drawing people all the time, there are seasons and times where God's Spirit is drawing people based on their experiences, based on their questions, their curiosities, and all of those sorts of things. And so how would we know when God is working or drawing someone? We wouldn't possibly be able to know that apart from God's Spirit giving us that. And so we are... Born spiritually dead. I think that's important for us to remember because much of what we call church today is, is summed up in trying to just make us a better life. Learning how to understand a, a better marriage, better parenting, better finances, better job, better relationships, better joy, better sense of purpose and meaning in life. But we forget what the opposite is of that. And that is that the Scripture says that we are spiritually dead. You know, dead people can't make decisions. No one has ever looked at a corpse and said, I can't believe you just did that. Dead people can't make decisions. And so what this world needs, when you think about the lost people of this world, the unsaved, the unregenerated, the, 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 uh, the, the non-transformed, the, the untransformed, the, the people who are so far away from God who've never accepted Jesus Christ, they don't just need more church. They don't just need more encouragement. They don't just need someone to believe in them. They need the resurrection power of Jesus Christ because they are dead and cannot make that decision on their own. I want, you to, I want that just to sink in for a moment. Lost people don't need you just to be nice to them. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need the Spirit of God. They need to know what to do with those curiosities. They need to know what it is so they can step into it. Otherwise, we leave people damned to the lake of fire, separated from God for all eternity. There are two options in this world. This life is not life. This is preparation for that, for that life. We'll either spend, John said, I saw the new Jerusalem, the holy city of God coming out of heaven, dwelling with men. So we will live forever in the presence of God, whatever that looks like. We're not going to get into it this morning. The other option is, the book of Revelation said, and I saw hell thrown into the lake of fire. And so we know that those, then it's simple. There's a pathway and there's a, 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 a fork in the road. And we either go the eternal presence of God or we go the eternal absence of God in the lake of fire. Those are the only two options. So what determines which way we go? What we believe, what we think, how we feel. No, what determines which direction we go is what we've done with Jesus Christ and whether or not our spirits are made alive or not. That's it. Listen to me very closely. Going to heaven and hell is not about the actions that you've performed in this world. You can be the best person the world's ever known just south of Jesus. Makes no difference. You can have more, the, the most money of anyone who's ever lived and give it all away and it will not make a difference if your soul, if your spirit is still dead. And I think it's very important for us from time to time to remember that the vast quantities of people that we pass every day live in that state of spiritually dead. 
They don't just need to be valued. They don't need to just be encouraged. They don't just need somebody to say, God bless you. They need, to, they need something much more than that. Listen, the, the dead do not need to be rehabilitated. They need to be resurrected. The dead do not need to be resuscitated. They need to be resurrected. And we who are the people of God, who've been drawn by His Spirit and have been made alive in Christ, are the only mechanism in place to speak life. Which is the very reason that Jesus' last command to us was, make disciples. Everything that the Father has given me, I've given to you. The New Testament says we are thoroughly equipped unto every good work. There is not an opportunity to make disciples that we are not qualified to step into. But we're satisfied with just being nice to people. Just that friendly smile. And we pat ourselves on the back like we've done some Christian service. Well, Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. The things that we work for in this life leads us to death. And you know death eventually is going to end up in the lake of fire. I was a sinner by birth, but now I'm a sinner by choice. Ephesians chapter 2. Now listen, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Then we have to accept God's remedy. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. According to the Scriptures, it says those who are dead follow the ways of this world. They belong to the ruler of the kingdom of the air. By nature, they are deserving of wrath. The person is hostile to God. Does not submit to God. Completely unable to do so. And doesn't know what to do with that disability. In fact, the person is an enemy of God, the Scripture says. And they cannot please God, no matter how hard they try. When they're physically dead then they are destined to eternity apart from God. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. And I wish I could take away some of the harshness, but the truth of the matter is, if we took away the harshness, we would drop the motivation for why we are to speak life. Truth hurts, but it also brings healing. God is a missionary God. In fact, in the very beginning, God, God as a missionary God created us for a relationship with Him. Then the very first man that he created, he made him a missionary man. And he said, everything that I've told you, tell everybody else. Adam was a terrible disciple maker, by the way. And we're all paying the price for some of that. I'm really glad I can blame Adam because at the time I was born, if everybody else had been perfect, everybody would be calling my name instead of Adam's. And so the world gets very narrow on Adam's name. We know Adam's name. We know Adam's children's name. We know Adam's wife's name. We know everything that is pertinent to Adam's story we have right here. And then all of a sudden, the story begins to broaden. And because there was a lack of discipleship, wickedness filled the earth. Boom, back to one family. You ever notice that? Back to one family. Noah, we know his kids. We know his wife and God saved them on the ark. As soon as they get off the boat... Starts to broaden back out again, right? Then the Tower of Babel, and we, and then we hit Abraham. Every story in the Old Testament is a story of transformation, the story of 
of processes of restoring mankind back to himself. It's a story of make sure you tell the next generation. Make sure you tell your neighbor. Make sure you reach out to people. God is a missionary God. And by the time you get to the New, the New Testament, God sends His Son to be a missionary to us. And as the perfect missionary, living a perfect life on mission, Jesus modeled what our lives are to look like. Now listen, if you're not careful, you'll read the gospel thinking that God sent Jesus to us so that we can have life. That's not the full, that's true, it's not complete. The truth is, God sent Jesus so that we could have life and so that we would know how to give that life away. So that we would know how we are to live after we are filled with the Spirit of God. So I am very grateful for the example and the obedience of Jesus to come to earth and to save me. But I am equally excited to know that I can live like Jesus now that the Spirit is alive in me. And I think that's the part of the story that we neglect. Yes, I am saved. I go to heaven when I die. But for what purpose? That's a pretty self, selfish thought if you think about it. God came just to save me. God came to use me as a mechanism of His voice. He came to show me, to model for me what it looks like to live as a daily missionary. Before I knew who Jesus was, I was not empowered to do so. But now that I know Jesus and His Spirit is in me, I should be walking in the way of the Master. You hear me? This is vital. This is everything. This is why we wake up today. It's to help people find and follow Jesus. It's the, it's the point of our existence. It's not to be saved. It's to reach out to those who are not. It's to make disciples. Not to huddle up in discipleship groups. Discipleship is to make disciples. Why have we settled for being a disciple when He didn't call us to be one? He called us to make them. That's through me and out of me. So let's look closely at the process that Jesus modeled so that we'll know what He expects of us. First thing, He left the comforts of His heavenly home and entered into our world. I want you to notice that as a missionary, Jesus left home and came to a place of discomfort. God became flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus. Jesus left the comforts of His eternal home and by adding humanity to His deity, came into our world, He became like us. He identified with our joys and our sorrows, our fears and our concerns. He did not come as the royalty that He deserved. Instead, He became like us in every way. He didn't rent out large synagogues, hold large meetings, and demand that people come and pay tribute to Him. On the contrary, He was born a baby in a manger and nobody knew it. To serve, not to be served. Ultimately, the testimony of Jesus in His own generation was that He was a friend of sinners. I want you to think about that for a moment. You know, one thing that nobody ever said of Jesus was, at Jesus, he's such a hypocrite. But I want you to think about what the world thinks about today's modern church. We hear that more than we hear anything else. Just, in fact, not that they are hypocrites, but it's full of hypocrites. Think about who you talk to about the gospel. Think about the discomfort you're willing to experience or the awkward that you're willing to embrace. 
the selflessness that you're willing to endure. What would our lives look like if we sought to be a friend of sinners instead of valued by Christians? The second thing is he prepared himself. This is the oddest thing to think about. And, and we call them the silent years of Jesus, but from birth to about 30, we know very, very little 12 seems to be a defining period in a person's life. And we find out a little bit there about Jesus. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature with people and with God. Wait a minute. So from this is written after Jesus has already matured. Uh, and, you know, and, and at 30, when he began his earthly ministry, about three and a half years of ministry... So Jesus ministered for a little over three years, but prepared for that three-year ministry for 30 years, where he increased in wisdom. That word increased, though, you know, I think about increasing. When you increase in something, it means you get more of the same thing. That's not what this word means. I know you knew that it was coming. But this word actually means, it means to be hammered out, to be lengthened by hammering. Like you would take some kind of precious metal and pound it over and over and to make it bigger than it actually is. So when you think about Jesus increasing in wisdom and stature, it means that Jesus took some pretty hard knocks. It means that Jesus struggled just like you struggle. It means that Jesus went through pain and suffering because Jesus was studying the culture that He was sent to. He wanted to know how we think, how we, how we process, how we feel. He wanted to understand all of those things because one of these days, He's going to be the advocate to the Father. And so for 30 years, Jesus studied the culture that He came to. He processed it. He watched it. He lived among it. And He increased in wisdom, which actually means a diversity of things, a diversity of knowledge. It means that Jesus was balanced in His understanding. Jesus also increased in stature, just means maturity. That doesn't ever mean that Jesus was immature. It certainly doesn't mean that Jesus ever sinned. He didn't. But He did go through life's struggles to get there. Most of His life was spent in obscurity. Nobody taking notice. He lived as a child, friend, son, a provider, a businessman, much longer than He lived in the limelight which, by the way, ended at a cross, his earthly life. So I think Jesus came into our context and he modeled life as God intended us to live. The first challenge that Jesus ever extended to the early disciples was to come and see. You remember when Jesus was walking, everything that, everything that Jesus is processing, everything that Jesus is studying, what Jesus is doing is he is learning how to listen to the culture. He's learning how to listen to the culture. I want you to write that down because that's exactly what I'm going to be asking you to begin to do. Listen to the culture around you. Learn the questions that they're asking. Find out the curiosities. I think of, of Jesus uh, is at the, at the... Well, so let's go back all the way to the very beginning. Jesus, <clears throat> being a student of culture... Can you imagine what Jesus thinks when the Father says, today you should be, you know, uh, find your cousin John 
for baptism. I don't know how that process goes, but I know that where Jesus is from and where John the Baptist is baptizing is 80 miles. This was very intentional, right? Jesus gets there and he is baptized and then he goes away for 40 days and is tempted in the wilderness and then he comes back to John the Baptist and there is where he meets some of John's disciples who begin to follow Jesus. And he's walking along the way, and you guys remember this from last week, and he turns around and he sees them and he's listening. He asks questions. Jesus asks questions all the time because he wants to hear from you. And he says, what, what, what are you doing? What do you want? What do you need? And they said, you remember? Where do you live? <laughs> Jesus said, what? Come and see. And he spent time with them and he valued the time with them and he heard them. He heard where they were from. He knew that they were struggling with, is the Messiah really coming? Who is going to be the Messiah? These are pounding questions that every Jew was asking. Is he really coming? What will he look like? How will we know him? All of these things. And Jesus is just answering their questions. And eventually, what happens the next day? Hey, we have found the Messiah. Oh, can anything come out of Nazareth? Come and see. Jesus' ministry begins at the core place when someone is curious spiritually. They, they have a problem in their life. Listen and give them a come and see. Jesus is sitting at the well. The woman comes. What does Jesus do? He's listening. He's listening. Hey, could you give me a drink of water? Let's see what she does with that. Why would you ask me to get you a drink of water? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. All right, well, now we know. He already knew she was a Samaritan, but now we know that she's aware that there's division here. The conversation goes further. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, from this meaningless conversation, she says, all right, well, your people says worship over here. Our people says worship over here. Who's right? Boom. And Jesus is able to take that curiosity. She didn't lead with that. It took a little bit of conversation, but obviously there was something there spiritually that she wanted someone else's opinion on. And he begins to speak. And he, she begins to talk about her family. He's like, girl, I don't think he said girl, but girl, you've been married five times and that man ain't even your husband. Whoa. You're right. There it was. There was life change right there. Wasn't necessarily discipleship yet, but it was a come and see. And she saw him. And she ran back to the village. And you remember what she said to everybody back at the village that already hated her? Come and see. See. Now, everyone's not curious, but some people are. Some people are. Some people that are, you would know that are curious, you're close to them, they might express some curiosity that an absolute stranger might not express. You remember what Jesus does when he walks in? Jesus has taken time with people. When Jesus stops, why did you touch me? That's a great question. Because I want, you, I want you to tell me why you saw value in that. Life change. Come and see. I think of rabbi, good, good teacher. Jesus stopped. Why did you call me good? Because I want to hear. Because you might have said good just to be respectful, but I'm not sure there might be a spiritual question in there somewhere. Jesus is constantly trying to draw out to see 
Because here's what we know. The Father wants everybody to be saved. We also know that the Spirit draws people from time to time. Now, it's so important that Jesus is so saturated with the Spirit, both in prayer and in the Word of God. And in that moment, He's led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. All of these things, He's so sensitive to the Spirit. And so the Spirit, if the Spirit is drawing you, it means the Spirit is near you. And I want to make sure that my Spirit is bearing witness to your Spirit. So as I am walking... And I have experiences all around me. We need to make sure that we take a moment to see ourselves as missionaries and just stop when something happens. Stop when somebody calls our name. When they say, Son of David, Jesus stops and he listens. Jesus is always on his way somewhere. He was busy. He's always going somewhere. But there was never one time when someone distracted him that he didn't stop and have a conversation. Because that was the point of life. Not wherever I'm going. Whatever I'm doing. It's so important for us to see this. In order to make disciples, you have to be available to people. You have to leave the comfort of your isolation. You have to leave your comfort of your getting everything you want and ordering your life out. You have to be willing to step out there and say, Lord, use me. You have to study where people are, what their conversations are like. You've got you to be able to know how God can speak you to them. So a lot of the ways that you learn that is to go through difficulty. It's to go through pain. It's to go through processes that you wouldn't otherwise want to go through. But your life is proof that God is a healer. Your life is proof that God transforms people. And God is going to put certain people in your, in your path, certain people in your, uh, in your realm of influence. And when they say something, you should stop and listen because there might be some curiosity there. The Spirit might be drawing them and He's going to use you to provoke it because dead people can't do anything. So when they say something about a marriage, when they say something about parenting, when they say something about finances, when they say something about pain, when they say something about health, when they say something about fear, there may be something there that is spiritual. Talk to them. Take a moment. Spend a moment. Ask them a question. Why'd you call me good? Not you. They probably won't do that. Why did you touch me? Who touched me? Do you not know what you're doing? Do you do? Jesus is asking questions constantly, not because he doesn't know the answer already. Perhaps he does. But because he's trying to get people to a place where they can prove their curiosity. And when they do, come and see. It's just a model for us. Now, before I was a Christian, before I was spirit-filled, I couldn't really do that. All I could do was wave at people. Be nice to people. Try to encourage people. But I didn't have the capacity to give life away. But now life that is in us, we can give that life away. And it doesn't deplete. This is so powerful for us to bypass our calendar and to pay attention to would-be disciples of Jesus Christ. Listen, one of the things that I've learned is to come and see is the easiest of all. We're going to talk about four processes of discipleship this is the easiest one how much effort does it take to listen to people people have a everybody i should i'm gonna say it everybody has the same favorite subject to talk about what is it listen here's so because that is true and it is true for those of you who say that's not true you're lying 
Everybody wants to talk about themselves. Let me prove it. When you want to talk about, when you want to talk to other people and be selfless, you end up telling them all your stories. So, let me, let me just give you a little bit of advice here for a moment, all right? When you can get somebody to talk, when they say something, ask you a question, or is there an experience, and you just need to be a student of culture to know how do you talk to someone at a water fountain? How do you talk to someone at a Walmart aisle? How do, you, how do you do that? Pray about it, and the Spirit will give you the ability to be able to do that. And then you can have this conversation as a friend, know and seeing if the Spirit is at work. And if, it, if He is, you can eventually kind of process that conversation out and have something you want to invite them into. Hey, listen, I'm a part of a discipleship group. There's a lot of people asking these same questions. Would you like to come and maybe sit with us and... I, I, there's a, a, a group of families coming over to the house tonight. Would you like to, to maybe just sit with us? We're all trying to figure this out together. You want to, Your church is doing this thing. Would you like to come and sit with me? I'll meet you at the door. I'll come pick you up. I have learned that the come and see question is the easiest one there is. Not only for you to invite people into, it's the easiest one for them to say yes to. Which, which is harder? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? Or, mm, come and see. We'll see how curious you are. Here's the problem though. Whenever we are hearing someone at work and they're saying, you know what, I don't know that I can live one more day with that woman. And you hear that? What do you mean by that? You want to talk about it? Well, yeah, I kind of would. Start just to... I know what you mean, brother. My wife, she is. Blah, 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 blah. And there we go, trying to tell our story. Or someone is talking about the pain of losing a loved one to death. And we want to tell them about the time that we lost a loved one to death. We just hijack their story. When you start telling your story, when they're telling their story, you're not going to be able to hear the curiosity of what they need. Just wait on your story till the next section of discipleship. Hold your story. Your story brought you to the sensitivity of being able to hear. Your story, your processes brought you to a place that made you sensitive because there's pain and there's struggle and there's, there's issues in your life that I have not experienced and vice versa. And so I'm a lot more sensitive to things than you may be. And you're more sensitive to things than I am. The Spirit may use you in certain circumstances and He may not use me and vice versa. But it's not so that we can tell our story. It's so that we can hear those that are curious. Those that are lost. Those that are empty. Those that are dead. So listen to people. Pay attention to people. And if you'll spend your Days in the Word, in the Spirit, and prayed up, you'll be able to be a lot more sensitive and intentional. If you'll spend your time studying your culture, if you'll spend your time being willing to be uncomfortable and being awkward, you'll find a lot more opportunity to declare His glory into this generation. Now, these folks may not be the come and die. That may not be... You know, if you're going to give the come and die speech to the curious, you probably aren't going to be very effective. And I'd even go a step further and say you're not going to let the next person be very effective either. Let's turn over to Isaiah chapter 28 for a second. I'll give you a quick little 
algorithm, and then we'll, we'll go. You need to understand that every moment, every opportunity, Jesus made himself available and intentionally developed relationships. Jesus was always intentional about relationships. Uh, can, I, can I just be nitpicky again for a moment? When someone proves that they're asking those questions and the Lord were to use you to discover what their curiosities are and you are able to use restraint by listening to their story instead of commiserating with them or being empathetic with them and just listening to find out where their issues really are, this is, so, this is so important, I think. We need to be very intentional and careful, but I got through it and you can get, it through, you can get through it too isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repent therefore for the kingdom of heaven is at hand is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To truly give the gospel, people need to know that there is life change available, not just I'll get through it eventually. They need to know that there is something else out there that must take place. Repentance is absolutely necessary. We can't just leave people comfortable in their sin with a hope that eventually I'll get over this. We have to make sure that they understand because the gospel of Jesus Christ is absolutely essential. Jesus is not a good way. He's the only way. And if you place yourself into that, it's going to be all right. I'm here for you if you ever need anything. You're not the gospel. We've left so many sinners in sin and they're dead people that are left in death. Instead of helping them to understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that hope looks like in them. We'll talk a little bit about that transition next week. But today is... Is come and see. So let me let me look at uh, let's let's look at <clears throat> Isaiah twenty eight. I'm going to begin reading verse twenty four. I'm going through this super quick. Okay. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter deal and sow cumin and put in wheat and rose and barley in his proper place and emmer as the border? For he is rightly instructed as God teaches him. Deal is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. But deal is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? Nope, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel, excellent in wisdom. Let me explain to you what this actually means. You ever heard of physical CPR? Is when you give cardiopulmonary resuscitation, right? So chest compressions and all of this sort of stuff goes into CPR. It saves people's lives. Well, there's also spiritual CPR. Let me give you that very quickly. Isaiah actually, verse 28, this is the context of that. He goes through the, the, the turning over of the ground, the plowing of the ground. That's going to be the C, it's cultivate. It's the hardest part of farming is getting the ground soft enough. In fact, we've made equipment to do that work. When I grew up and moved away, my dad got a rototiller. 
and a log splitter. I'm not bitter. Much. The cultivating of the ground is, is a very, very important part. But he says, does, does the farmer actually continue to plow the ground forever? No, there's a time where you turn the ground over and there's a time where you plant. And then he lists all of these seeds that are sown. And by the way, you might not know this if you're not a farmer, but these aren't the same seeds. They're not sown in the same seasons and they're not cultivated the same way and they're not put at the same depths of the ground. But a farmer knows because he knows the seed and he knows the ground at what levels and place and, and perimeter to place these seeds. And if you don't place the seeds right, then the harvest isn't going to be right. Right? Cultivate, plant, and reap. Very important process of spiritual CPR. Listen, so many of us well-meaning disciple makers would look at someone who is spiritually curious and beat them over the head with seed. Constantly preaching out in the streets telling people to, to we're wearing our, our marker boards and telling people the end of the, of the world's at hand. And I'm telling you what, the ground's not turned over yet. Jesus is going to tell a story in the New Testament about the ground's not ready, but that seed's going to land on hard ground and it's not going to come up. And even if it does, it's not going to last long because it's not deep enough. But the come and see is the tilling of the soil. It's the plow, it's the softening of it. It's, it's getting it ready so that we can begin to bring Jesus in. But first, there must be a come and see. Now that, listen, this is the south and just about everybody has already come and saw. Right? We've not, we've not been great ambassadors of that. But I believe that's where we should start with people. People who have already been influenced by the gospel are going to be quick come and seers. You're going to run into people at work or at school or wherever the place may be that they've already been in church. Come and see is easy, but they need to be asked to come and see with you. Because you've softened them. They're softened to you. And you may have the seed that gets planted to them. I don't know. Some people are... Deal. Some people are cumin. Some people are all sorts of other kinds of seed. But as you get to know people, you'll know what seeds to sow and when to sow it and how to sow it. And if you don't know those things, you certainly won't know how to reap it. And so many people try to reap before the plant, the seeds even sown. It's one of the reasons why this illustration is used over and over and over in scriptures because they're a process to reaping. Today you may be a reaper. Today you may be a plower. You may be the plower, the sower, and the reaper, all three in one person. Chances are, that's not going to be true. Some days we're reapers, some days we're sowers, all of us. The important part is not what place do I play. Well, I'm a reaper. No, no, no. We're a disciple maker, which means we're always sensitive to everyone, looking to see where they are, studying our culture, studying our, our people, our friends, our, our people that we're in relationship with, getting to know them. Listen, and not because we want them on our team, but because they're dead and they'll live eternity in hell apart from a God who loves them and gave himself for them. And so because I love God... I am indebted to the lost. How dare I 
who have found life withhold that life from other dead people. You ever hear people say, don't judge me. No. You should try it. It's a lot of fun. It seems like the younger people get, the more they misunderstand what that means. Don't judge me. All that really means is, I don't want you to have an opinion about the things that I think I probably shouldn't be doing anyway. Don't judge me. Well, so every t- so let me just break this down quickly. I know some of you have heard me talk about this before, but I want you to get it in this context. <clears throat> Don't judge me is not about... So the Scripture says to be careful about judging others because the judgment that you use will actually be used for you, right? So we want to be careful. If somebody's living in sin and we say, well, I can't be judgmental. You're not judgmental. This is the judge, by the way. That's not judging at all. It's actually fruit inspecting, especially for Christians. And we're called to do that. We're called to hold people accountable. We're called to rebuke and exhort. We're called to be that. We are, after all, the, the truth of Jesus Christ lived out in flesh. So when people, when the Scripture says not to judge, what it's talking about is not assuming that someone is too late or unavailable for salvation. To look at someone and say, you know what, that, that person, I'm not spending my time talking to them. So in, in, in reference to our earlier uh, illustration, if I'm walking and I look at somebody and I say, you know what, I know what they've done and they, they, are, not, they are not capable of being saved. Guess what I just did? I just judged them. Because I didn't even consult the Spirit in me with the Spirit that might be dealing with them. Didn't even process it. I judged them and I moved on. That's what this Bible talks about when it says not to judge people. Because you never know where the Spirit might be working in a person until you get to know them. That's why it's so important for us not to have enemies because sometimes God will actually use us to reach our enemies. But if they're your enemies, chances are you're judging them. Pray for them can't pray for people and hate them at the same time. Okay, so I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about the people that you live around, the people that you work around, the people that you learn around. And when you walk through this life, you've seen those, uh, those movies or maybe commercials where you don't know what people are saying, but you know what they're thinking because it's got the words written above their head. So I want you to go through your daily life whether it's at work or whether it's shopping or whether it's at school or even in your own home. And I want you to think about this. Every time you walk by someone and you're not listening to see if the Spirit might be speaking, if you're not listening, right above them it says, don't judge me. See where I'm at. See, see if I'm curious. Have a conversation with me because today may be the day, but you know what? We just kept on walking because we made a predetermined decision. No, it's not for me. It's not, I'm too busy. You don't understand how busy I am. My calendar's full. I've got to go do this. I'm a very important person. Well, that's not how we saw Jesus model his life. Jesus always had time for everyone. So it's funny that the people we talk to are not the people we're judging. The people we don't talk to are the people that we're judging. Judge not, lest you be judged.
So this morning, I want to encourage you that as we process what does it mean to be a disciple, maker, it looks like this. Abandon comfort. That doesn't mean you won't have purpose and meaning and joy in your life. It means that comfort can't be the thing, the reason that you make decisions. Reputation can't be the... Because the Bible says Jesus made himself of no reputation. Why in the world would we be any different? Who cares what the world thinks about us? So, leave the comfortable. Study the culture. Know where the needs of the people are. There are primary questions everybody has. You should already know those if you've been saved. You should already know some of those uh, same processes. You should be intentional enough. Do some homework. Figure out. Read the scriptures. See where people are and how God's spirit can speak to them. And then just listen to people. Quit trying to be heard and listen. And as they speak, you'll see if there's any spirit in it. If there's spirit in it, then you can start sowing seed. You may not be the reaper, but somebody will be the reaper. Next week, we're going to talk about follow me, which is the second call. But today, I want us to specifically pray. Chris, go ahead and come. We're going to specifically pray today. All of us, individually, I want us to pray. Lord, I want to have a come and see on my lips. I want to be sensitive to the curiosities of people around me. Because folks, listen to this. They don't just need encouragement. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're dead. They're not just unhappy. They're dead. And Jesus has put his story in us for them. He did not call us to discipleship. He called us to disciple making. So let's stand together. Lord, as we pray, I just ask that you would soften our hearts, cultivate our soil so that we may constantly uh, have seed planted in us as well. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So Lord, I pray that you would use us to be workers in your field. Help us to remember that the dirt belongs to you, the seed belongs to you, and the harvest belongs to you. We are your servants, your sons and daughters. Thank you for allowing us to work. So Lord, I pray that you, as we are learning these things and seeing these things, that that we will recognize that Jesus didn't exist just to do this for us. Jesus existed to model for us what it looks like to live in the Spirit. May we learn how to ask questions. May we learn how to listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.